Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity to get together and fellowship around your word. We ask your spirit to guide and lead as we look at your word and ask you to be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah 48, starting at verse 12, we have been looking at God saying that he has revealed himself through prophecy and that he is is, uh, people's God. And so starting at verse 12. Hearken unto me, O Jacob and Israel, my called. I am he. I am the first. I also am the last. My hand also hath laid the foundation of the earth. My right hand hath spanned the heavens. When I called unto them, they stand up together. All you assemble yourselves and hear which among you hath declared these things. The Lord hath loved him. He will do his pleasure on Babylon, and his arm shall be on the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken, yea, I have called him. I have brought him, and he shall make his way prosperous. All right, well, that's the paragraph, so we'll stop there. (laughs) So God is continuing. He's trying to really emphasize to the Jews in this chapter that he is God. All right? And so he says, listen, hearken unto me, O Jacob and Israel. I called. You know, one of the things that we need to realize is God is always calling people to himself. He's calling the lost. He's calling the, the, his own children. And then he says, I am he. And that's kind of an interesting statement. Uh, I, I, am, I am he. You know, I'm the one that called. I'm the one that's, that's paying attention. And then he goes, I am the first. I, am also, uh, I also am the last. God is was before all things, and he will be after anything else. Now, we know that we have eternal life and everything, so that means God has no ending. And if somehow we lost our eternal life and it ended, God would still be there. And he is before all things. And something we have trouble fathoming. You know, God isn't saying there was a beginning or end. He's just saying before it was, I, I was there. And... You know, it's something we can't comprehend. We as human beings really cannot comprehend eternity. No beginning, no end. Because wherever we go to, we have a stopping point. All right, it was before creation. Well, no, he was always there before. Okay, we go back, you know, 20 20 trillion years. No, you're not back far enough. All right, we go to 20 trillion, to the 20 trillionth power. (laughs) Nope, God's still before that. And we just can't comprehend this idea of going back to nothing. You know, no, no time and just keep going. And when you go back as far as you can comprehend, keep going because you haven't even started. All right? And when we think about eternity going the other direction, it's the same process. I think out as far as I possibly can go, think out, and I haven't even begun to start, no matter how big a number I think. And God says, before and after, I am. And, you know, he's trying to make people really understand just how large he is and how, how ancient he is. And this is something important for us. No matter how long we live, we won't live as long as God. All right? Even if we're going forward, we'll live with him, but we, he far, you know, goes beyond us the other direction. 
we still don't we still don't live long enough to catch up with him because he goes the other direction just as far. We had a beginning. Oh, he will. He'll always know everything. He will always be omniscient. He will always be omnipresent because he is outside of everything we know. That is a good, that is a good side. No sin nature, nothing to go wrong, and yet he knows everything good that will happen in, in heaven. He still knows everything. It's just everything will be good, no bad. And he goes so far back into the past that he's always existed. And this is hard to fathom. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Father have always existed. Perfect unity for all of time, except for the one night on the cross when Jesus was had his back turned by God because he was sin. And their perfect unity was broken. You know, all because, of us. all because of us and the pain, you know, the pain of the cross, the pain of the scourging was nothing as far as I'm concerned to what he went through when his perfect unity with the father was broken. Even though it was for a short time, he became the propitiation for our sin. He took the full punishment for sin. All the anger God had for sin was poured out on Jesus on the cross for all of mankind. And that's hard to even imagine. The righteous father's anger poured completely upon his son because he became sin. Somebody he'd been in fellowship, perfect fellowship with for all of eternity. He says, I am. Before anything, I was there and after. And in, a, in our New Testament, it says he was the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Same, same type of thing. He says, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth. My right hand has spanned the heavens. And I called, when I called unto them, they stand up together. You know, his power. He laid the very foundation of this world. I'm amazed when I talk to people who think they're scientific that don't believe in God. You know, because they'll talk about evolution, and evolution violates every law of science that we know. And yet they'll talk about them being scientists and us being, being just believers and having faith. Even though everything about evolution violates the laws of science, which is why it'll never become the law of evolution. It'll always be the theory because it already violates too many laws. And God says, I laid the foundation. He put the very foundation of everything together. He put the design into everything. And it is amazing when you look at the design of nature, the design in the cell. Now, our scientists look at it and say, well, see, they're all similar. Of course they're similar. The same designer made them. All right. It's the same thing as an architect. You look at buildings that an architect, you need that turned down, Gary? No. Okay. You know, when you look at buildings that an architect put, puts together, you can see the common design of the architect. You know, there's features that they put in because it is their signature. God has put his signature over all of creation because at the base of everything is the same design. 
the same DNA structure, not the same DNA, but the same structure, the same basic hand format, no matter whether it's a wing or a fin, is not a proof of each one coming from the other, but that a designer put together the perfect design for a hand. You know, leg structures, the perfect design that all other creatures have the same general design in their leg. You know, we, we look at what's supposed to be the most basic element of life, the cell. And you start really tearing the cell apart and realize it is one of the most complex units out there in science. When Darwin looked at it, he saw a cell wall with a nucleus in the center of it and thought, wow, that's so simple. <laughs> and we look at it and say, wow, you know what? It is an extremely complex one cell. We're made out of trillions of cells, and each cell is in a completely complex unit within our body and within the cell structure of everything out there. And you know, the more, the deeper we look into the, the minute micro machinery of the cell, the more we realize it's not simple. It's not the simple thing that they thought when they introduced evolution. The very cell itself is so complex it disproves evolution. And we look at this and God says, I, I just laid it. <laughs> I, I, I laid the foundation. He says, I am so big that the span of my hand covers the heavens. You know, he just says, I reach out and I can hold everything. He holds the entire universe in his hands. and says, eh, it's no big deal. You know, just the picture of how big he is and he says, I called into the heavens and they stand together. Now, this is kind of an interesting statement. He says he has named every star in the Psalms. God has named every star. We can't even count the stars as human beings. We, we aim the telescopes at some spot in, in, the, in the sky and, and within a couple, you know, leave it running, leave the camera being exposed for for a day or so and we end up with so many stars we can't count the stars and they turn into a big big white blur. And we think we know how many stars there are. It used to be amazing that, that Kepler and all these guys counted the stars and they came up with just tens and thousands, hundred thousands and said, that's how many stars there are. Yeah. Yeah, and now we know that there are so many stars out there we can't even begin to count them. And God says, ah, I just hold them all in my hand. I've named them all. <laughs> You know, when we really start thinking about how big our God is, how powerful he is, and how often do we really think about how big he is? You know, we go, we either, and we'll take it one of two directions. God, we're just so, you're so big and we're so small, I don't want to give you any problems because, you know, who are you to care about my problems? Or we just totally ignore him and think God's not big enough to handle our problems even though he's handling the entire the entire universe and everything, multiple universes that might be out there. And we go, we just forget how powerful and, and all-knowing all God is. Here he's trying to make us understand how big and powerful he is, which should give us comfort because if he's that big and that powerful, he's ready to handle any of my problems. And I think back to, you know, we really want to think the child with their parent, especially dad. Dad can do anything. When you're, when you're young. Dad is the protector. He's the knight in shining armor. He's the, you know, the one that can help you. My, dad, my dad's big, you know, can take care of your dad type situation. 
Now, we grow out of it pretty quick sometimes. But, you know, that kind of should be our attitude toward God. My dad's able to take care of anything. My father can take care of any of my problems and help me out and wants to. The problem is we don't always believe that God wants to. <laughs> we, we think so little of ourselves and, you know, well, I've disappointed him so many times because we live in a world of conditional love. We really don't understand God's love to us. We get some glimpses of it. You know, some glimpses of it in the way parents take care of their kids and love their kids. But we really don't understand unconditional love. God loves us so fully that he says, I want to give you good things. I want to bless you. And he's wealthy enough and big enough to do it. <laughs> if we would just really grab hold of it. Now that doesn't mean he's going to always going to spoil us and give us everything we want because he wants us to trust in him, but he has in his hands everything to give us blessing and seek after him. He says, all you, all you assemble yourselves and hear which among you have declared these things. So he says, get together. And again, remember, this whole chapter has been talking about them worshiping their idols, following their idols. He says, okay, come together and tell me What's, what's coming? God says, I'm first and last. He knows the beginning from the end. His omniscience knows everything. And this is something we have trouble understanding too. Nothing surprises God that happens to us. He is already aware that it's happened because he's already there. Seeing what to us is future. And he just says, well, it's not future to me. I already know what's coming your way. I already know what's going to happen. When you do these wrong things, I know the consequences that are going to happen, and I'm going to work out, make sure they work out together for good. And I know when you're going to be obedient, and I'm going to work that out together for good. And I know when you're not going to talk to the person you were supposed to talk to, and I will get somebody else to come talk to them. You know, God has already put the plans in place for everything to work out. Now, that doesn't excuse us. It doesn't say, well, God, you're going to make somebody talk to him anyway, so I don't have to talk to anybody. <laughs> we will have the consequences for not talking to them <laughs> because we probably were the best to talk to them. And God says, well, I knew you wouldn't, so I got this next best person coming or the third best person or the fourth best, whatever it takes to get that person talked to. But God says, I know the beginning from the end. He says, you gather together, and then in verse, the second part of 14, and the Lord hath loved him and will do his pleasure on Babylon and his, and his arm shall be on the Chaldeans. You guys are going to go into captivity, is what he's telling them, and I will deal with the Babylonians and the Chaldeans. You know, this is the great place for us. God says, vengeance is his, he will repay. You know, if we just sit back and let God do his work, he does it perfectly. I don't have to get stressed out. I don't have to get all excited because I don't see things working the way I think they should be working. And who am I in the first place to be, to be trying to tell God how to operate his, his universe? You know, usually it's my universe that I'm caring about. You know, uh, God, you're just messing up my universe. What's wrong with you? And God says, well, I'm running a bigger universe. 
than you. You are just a small part of my entire universe. You're a small part in my entire plan. And he says, just relax. You know, it's one of the things I learned as an IT professional. Everybody thought their job was the most important thing to get done. Doesn't matter whether the business is going to run if you didn't fix something else. Their job was important, and, it was, and I understand it was important to them. You know, I'm going to have a hard time doing my job if you don't fix this problem. Well, that's all fine, but if I don't fix it over here, the whole, the whole company goes down. You know, and you won't have a job anyway. <laughs> and I think God says, is trying to say that to us once in a while. He goes, your little piece is really not that big a issue. You're a very small cog in this wheel, and I'm over here working on the bigger cog that keeps everything running. I haven't forgotten about you. Now, God is so powerful, he doesn't forget about us like my example. So my example falls apart. As an IT professional, I can only do one or two jobs at one time. God can do everything. But by the same token, he's saying, you're just a small part. You're just a small part. Just relax. I have this under control. You know, one of the hardest things for us to do is relax because our pride wants to say, what, you know, look what I've done. You know, I am, I am important. This whole world couldn't exist if I wasn't doing my part. You know, you know, even if we won't say it, we really think it in our, in our heart deep down in most cases. I am what's important, and we see it when we're trying to ride on the roads and nobody will let somebody merge in, nobody will give anybody room. Uh, you go to these great big Black Friday, uh, Black Friday sales and everybody is killing each other to get to a deal for something they don't need in the first place. And they're running over each other and fighting each other because all that's important to us in our flesh is me. You know, why do we get angry at people? I got offended. Somebody didn't meet my needs. Now every once in a while we get offended that somebody else was hurt. But that is rare. It's rare that I'm upset that somebody else got hurt. You know, it's usually, you didn't do what I think you should have done. You didn't, give me the, you didn't give me the respect I thought I deserved or I think I deserve. And God will allow us to have that happen to us so many times, but he says he will do his pleasure on Babylon and Chaldea. And he's going to judge them. Why did he judge Babylon? He says, you were too strict on my children. You were too hard on them. And so now you're going to pay. Did he not know that they were going to be too strict? No, he knew they were going to be too strict. But he used them anyway. And we need to be aware that God knows, the, knows what's going to happen and he has a reason for it, even when we can't figure it out. He says in verse 15, I, even I, have spoken, yea, I have called him, I have brought him, and he shall make his way prosperous. God says, I've called my children back and God's going to make them prosperous the, the children of Israel are back in their land and they have one of the most prosperous countries in the world right now they're the breadbasket of Europe in that little tiny country producing enough food to feed an entire continent it's an amazing, amazing thing. God says, I have called my people and they're going to be prosperous. And people get jealous of them. People get jealous of Christians who seem happy and prosperous even when we're not, you know, rolling in the dough and everything, but we're happy. 
we're at peaceful. And people go, what's wrong with you guys? You don't have all the things I need, think I need to be happy, and you're happy. It is fun being a Christian and being, a, being joyful. And people looking at you like, you're not, you're not making a million dollars a year. How can you be happy? You don't have the, the, you know, the, the newest, best car. How can you be happy? You don't have the 98-bedroom house. How can you be happy? You know, you know, all these things that they tell us, you know, you don't have, you're not famous like, you know, somebody else, and yet you're happier than they are. Because I have what's important. And that's just it. We have what's important. We have God. And we know that God will meet our needs. And even beyond our needs, he'll meet many of our wants. God wants to give us some of our wants. He's not going to give us all of our wants, because that would make us spoiled rotten. But he will say, okay, here's your needs. You've got your food. You've got your house. You've got your transportation. You've got your job. Now here, let me, let me give you some blessings. <laughs> let me just give you some of those things you want. Most of the time we don't get any of the wants because we're too afraid to ask God. You know, because uh, you know, it's, in our day and age, it's kind of a righteous thing to be broke. <laughs> don't be too prosperous. And there's nothing righteous in being broke. And there's nothing righteous in being rich. It's what is my relationship with God? Because we look at Abraham and Job, they were very wealthy men and yet they followed God. Now, I do know many very wealthy people who have turned their back on God. And Jesus was broke. And, Jesus was broke. and, and the disciples were broke. So, but not all of the disciples. Many people were wealthy enough to help support Jesus and the disciples. So, wealth and poverty, there's nothing righteous in either one of those. And we need to be careful that we don't get caught up in this idea of that there's something inherently good. And it's, we've seen it throughout the history of the church. There's been times when it's really pushed hard. Oh, got to be broke. Can't, can't have anything. And then there's this whole side where got to have money. If God's not blessing you unless there's money. We need to be in the center, though. God, give me what I need and just meet my needs. And, you know, there have been some very wealthy people that are got godly followers, and they give God a huge amount of money. And they don't forget God. I have seen people, though, that get blessed and wealthy and start forgetting God. Because stuff becomes important. And if stuff becomes important, you're going to walk away from God and forget about him. On the other side, poverty can take us away from God, too, because we feel like our needs aren't being met. And I have all these problems and you know, all these struggles. And poverty can take you away from God. You know, it all comes down to where's my focus. In poverty, I look at God and say, God, you're my provider. You're going to meet my needs. In wealth, God, thank you for these blessings. Let me give them back, give you most of them. There's nothing wrong with you spending some on yourself. But you go and say, God, I want to, I want to honor you. you know, some of the richest people in our, in, in our times, you know, Penny, Cash, the founder of Caterpillar, gave God 90% of all their income. That's not for everybody to do. And these guys were millionaires. They had millions, which means they gave away nine million. For each million they had, they gave away nine million. That's a lot of, gift, a lot of giving away. You know, and yet, because they honored God, he blessed them in a great special way.
So we need to look and say, God, you are my provider at all times. No matter how much or little I have, God is my provider. And God is not going to let us suffer <laughs> beyond what he's able to provide for us or will provide for us. All right, verse 16. Come you near me unto me, hear you this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that it, that it was. There am I, and now the Lord God and his spirit have sent me. Thus saith the Lord, your, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God, which teach you to profit and lead you by the way that you should go. Oh, that you had hearkened unto my commandments. Then had my peace been as a river and my righteousness as the waves of the sea. Your seed also has been as the sand and the offspring of your bowels like the gravel thereof. His name should not have been cut off nor destroyed from before me. So God is again reiterating who he is. (laughs) He's saying, come and hear me. Come and listen. He goes, I have not spoken in secret. God does not have a whole bunch of mysteries out there that he only tells a few people. This is the way most religions are. If you go far enough, deep enough, you know, get to know enough secrets, you get to find out more secrets. And God says, I am not speaking in secret. He gave us 66 books that have all that we need to know about God, and if it doesn't match up to what's in our books, the Bible, it's not true. And if you go and find somebody who says, I have secret information from God, I have this, the, the key to all the hidden, hidden truth of God, run from them. <laughs> all right? Now, they may give you insight that you have not noticed before, but if they're trying to tell you they have special insight with God and special secrets, no. This is what happens in many of the cults in false religions. All right, I've given, you've given enough money, you've given enough devotion, now we'll give you the next, next bits of information for you. The next pieces of information. Here you go. We're going to introduce you to some new secrets that's not available to all those poor people who didn't do, oh, now you want the next ones, get out here and do this. Hierarchy of secrets. You know, get to know, get to know the right people, get to know the secrets of God. And God says, that's not me. I have declared myself from the beginning, he said. To everybody, anybody who opens up the book and listens to the Holy Spirit has access to the secrets. Now, yes, there is some truth in the fact that the more I study it, the deeper I can get and the more I understand. But God has said, I declared it from the beginning. There's nothing in there that wasn't there from the very beginning, even though I tease God about that myself. God, when did you put that verse in there? It's never been there. I know that it's been there. And I know that it's always been there from the beginning. You know, and I just have fun with God, you know, because he opens it up and said, oh, okay, God, that, it wasn't there. It wasn't there last time I read it. I know it wasn't there. Yeah. No, code. No, no special codes. Yeah, it's where you're at in your life. Now, there are some interesting things about the construction of the word of God in its original languages and everything, but they're not... Don't try to get your secret, you know, your knowledge of God from those, those, those instances. We find God's name in very interesting places in the Bible, in the original Hebrew, you know, exactly in the middle and all these other things and special places where his name is shown. That just shows the power of God. It was still there from the beginning anyway. We may only now start to understand it, but we're not going to learn any new doctrine 
from those kind of discoveries. And if they try to show you we have new doctrine, run from that people because that's not, that's not what God does. He says, I have shown you from the beginning. He's not, he's not hiding things. Uh, he says, I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that was, there am I. And now the Lord God and his spirit has sent me. Truth. He has sent the truth. He has sent the, the information. Sent Jesus. The Father and the Spirit have sent Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but except by me. And he says, I'm the one that's going to reveal, reveal all these things. Sometimes they seem like secrets. You know, before we're saved and we can't understand a word in the Bible and then we get saved and all of a sudden everything just opens up to us. And we're going, wow, this starts to make sense. And then we study it for six or seven decades and we go, wow, it is really making sense and I still don't know anything. You know, the amazing thing to me is how long I've been studying and I still feel like I don't know very much about the Word of God. Huh? <laughs> but you'll always feel that way. Because there's always so much more. You know, when I was younger, I used to think I knew a lot. And now God's showing me how little I knew back when I thought I knew everything. And I'm going, wow, this is just so mind-blowingly complex. And you go, wow, no, this is, oh, this? (laughs) And the more we study it, the more we realize we don't know anything about God's word. The more I think and think I know about God, the more I realize I don't know hardly anything about God because he is so infinitely larger than anything I can comprehend. The more I get to realize how, God want, right, how righteous God wants me, the more I realize how evil I am. You know, my heart just desires all the things I shouldn't desire, and I'm pretty good compared to what I was 40 years ago by human standards. But by God's standards, I look and go, oh my goodness, I'm an awful, terrible person. Not that we want to dwell on that. I don't want anybody to ever dwell on that, but you know, it, it is God humbling us. You know, as we knock out all these sins and we look good human by human standards, God says, I want you really to understand that you're not where you're supposed to be, so you will keep letting him change who you are. And it's amazing to me. Every time I look into his words, I go, oh, I'm really an awful person. God, I am so glad that you clothed me in your righteousness of Jesus and you see me as perfect because I am terrible. I am glad you don't see me as I am. Because he says we're not what we think we are. I always say I'm so glad he never gave up on me. And he won't give up on you. But it's also because he's never going to give up because he already knows what we will be. He knows that we're going to be glorified and perfect. And he doesn't see us after where we are now. He sees us after where we will be. It's amazing when you think about that. How many times have I totally messed up and God still loves me, still uses me, still cares for me, and still says, I love you. And forgives, totally forgives. And especially like, I didn't even, I wasn't even thinking of the things that I did. If I did, I probably wouldn't have done the things. That, but no, but it's like that thing, you do the thing you don't, that you shouldn't do. Yeah. Uh-huh. Paul, Paul said, you do, I do the yeah. things I don't want to do and don't do the things yeah. I want to do. Well, woe was me. Yeah. And it is true. And God is saying, I still forgive you. And that's the problem that all of us tend to have. And we've got to get over that. 
Because it's a real arrogant thing for me to say, God can forgive me, but I can't forgive myself. I, I really made him feel ashamed that he saw me do all that, and I wasn't even having him in the picture back then. And the things that I did, and I, I didn't take it, It's an ongoing blessing, especially to let it go. Yeah. It gets easier the more you do it, and it does. The more I've learned to see myself the way God sees me and to understand that he forgives me and that if he can forgive me, I have got to forgive me. And it was always easy for me to forgive others, but it was harder for me to, because part of it is I know what I was thinking when I sinned. I know when I purposely went the wrong way. And that's hard, knowing that I purposely did the wrong thing, but God knew it and forgives anyway. That's how you know. I knew what I was doing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We just need to be there. And, it, you know, and I really cringe when people go, well, I know God can forgive, but I can't. Well, I like to say, well, you think you're better than God. Yeah. Not because God can forgive you, but you're better than you can. But that just goes to our arrogance of the pride of life that says, I'm God. But here we see him saying, I am the one that leads. And this is someplace where we have to really get to the place where God, we understand, God, I am not God. In spite of what my flesh wants to believe, in spite of what, my, what I want to believe inside, I am not God. And I've jokingly said, you know, this is what you, we learned one major lesson in seminary. There's one God and we're not him. Okay. But you know, that is a true statement that we really do need to understand. I am not God. My flesh wants to be God. That was the whole beginning sin. Satan sinned because he said, I will be like God. He tempted Eve with, eat of this fruit and you will be like God. And our whole problem in the flesh is that we want to be God. Most people just want to be like God. You know. But I wouldn't say I, I would never want to be God because I know I never could be so. But we want to be God of our own universe most often. Maybe not the God of the universe, but we want to be God of our universe. Everybody do what's best for me. I'm driving down that road, but everybody get out of my way because I'm the most important person on this road. Okay? Uh, I deserve that. I deserve the, the promotion at work because I'm working harder than everybody else. And even if I wasn't, I still deserve it because I am the one that's most important around here. You know, and we're never going to say those kind of things out loud usually. But it really, if we analyze what we're doing and how we're acting... That's exactly what we're thinking. When we get mad at somebody on the road because they cut us off, and I'm guilty of that all the time. I, I, I hate stupid drivers because they get in my way. They inconvenience me, and I have just that same problem. I'm getting better over time, but, you know, but it really does come down to we like to be God of our own universe, and if we get offended in our own universe, they have offended God. And we got to be careful with that because we don't ever, we're not going to speak it out very often, but really if we analyze what we're doing and how we're reacting, we're trying to place ourselves as God. And that's just the human condition. That is our sin nature. And God is saying, I am God. I'm telling you what's going to happen. Let your, let your little God be crucified and dwell with me and let me be your, your God. And it's hard. It really is hard because our flesh pops up and says, I don't like that. 
We, you witness to somebody and you tell them about how easy it is to be a Christian. You just can repent from your sin and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord. That's too simple. I don't have anything to do in that. So it can't be that easy because you forget that I'm God and I have to, I have to pull my own self up off my bootstraps. And they'll, and they'll go, no, just surrender. Just give in to God and let God be God and let him get rid of your Messiah deity complex. <laughs> you know, and we're laughing about it, but it really is the way we think most of the time. You know, I am, I am what's important. You know, I didn't get my way. They didn't make me feel good. They made me wait at that restaurant and somebody else got to go first. Talk about themselves. Yeah, <laughs> I've heard that comment a couple of times. You know, everybody's talking about yourself, so how about talking about me today? <laughs> and everybody's talking about themselves. And yet, as Christians, we're called to edify others, build others up. We're called to put others first and ourselves last. And it's tough because it goes against our nature. And, and God is saying, lift them up. This is why God says that the servant is the one that's going to be exalted. Pastors are told to be the servant, the shepherds, the one that care for all the dumb sheep. You know, uh, and then he's the great shepherd who cares for all of his pastors who are shepherds to the other dumb sheep, but he's also the other dumb sheep's pastor. You know? And you know, when you think about this, being compared to a sheep is a terrible thing. Sheep are dumb. <laughs> I don't even want to be in charge of the sheep. I just want to lead the sheep. Being in charge is a terrible place to be when it comes to, to God. I don't want to, and believe me, as a pastor, I've had people look at me and go, tell me what to do. I can't. It's not my job to tell you what to do. I can tell you what the Bible says about that, but you've got to listen to God. I don't want to be responsible for anybody else's life. I have a hard enough time with my own life. I love being able to tell people what God says. Start applying God's word and helping them maybe filter through the decisions through a godly filter. But I don't want to ever say, this is what you're supposed to do. That's becoming a cult. You know, being listened to and directed by somebody because they're not learning to stand on their own. And that's very important. Verse 17 says, For thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I love it when he gives all these different titles. The Lord, the Master, the one we're supposed to follow. You know, and this is something that's so interesting because, especially for us Americans, it's tough to think of God as Lord because we have no concept of being so submitted to somebody that no matter what they tell us, we're to do. Because we have this mentality of we don't like our, we don't like our government, we'll just vote them out in the next election and until then I'm not going to listen to them. We also have this mentality of, you know, God loves those who help themselves. And when people think that's in the scripture and is exactly opposite of what the scripture says, God loves those who totally surrender to him and need him to help them. God doesn't want people that help themselves. Now, that doesn't mean we go out and do nothing, but he's also not saying, well, you've got to pull your own, own boots, yourself up by your own bootstraps. You have to get, get by on your own. He says, no, just surrender to him. And he says, I am your redeemer. The one who has bought you. How precious is this? If you buy something, you generally take better care of it than if it's given to you. Now, this is very true. When you spend your hard-earned income on something, 
You take good care of it. He is our redeemer. And the cost of our redemption was extreme. Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood, but more importantly, was separated from the Father to buy us back. He redeemed us. How precious are we to him to go through that much pain? If we could really start to understand how precious we are to God and how much our redemption cost, we would probably trust him more than we do. And just thinking about, God, you went through all of this to redeem me, to buy back what he created in the first place. And if that's not enough, he says, I'm also the Holy One of Israel. You know, I am the Lord, I am your Redeemer, I am the Holy One of Israel. He says, I am the Lord your God. <laughs> you know, I don't know which one of these is going to be the most important. I like Redeemer. <laughs> but he's given a whole list that says, in case one of these don't really fit you, I'm going to give you a whole lot of list, and you can pick the one that impacts you the most. <laughs> If you don't like me being your Lord, I'm your Redeemer. If you don't like that, he goes, I'm the one that called you and, and I'm the Lord your God. So that last one catches everything. All right. If you don't like any of the previous three, he goes, by the way, I am the Lord your God. Don't, that, end of story. Yeah, end of story, I'm God, I'm the Lord, so you just listen to me and follow what I'm telling you anyway. He starts out with these kind of loving attitudes. And he says, okay, you don't like that? Let me just hit you with my, hit you with my title. Now, uh, this is one of the things when I was teaching managers. So many people would get promoted into management, and immediately they went from being a good employee and good leader to, I got a title. You got to do what I say because I, am, I, I have the title. I'm a shift supervisor. I'm an assistant manager. And you had to take them aside and say, why are you being so stupid? You were a good leader. I promoted you because you were a leader. Don't necessarily... Now, is there a time for a title? There's absolutely a time for the title. There were times when, when I would just say, you're doing this because I said so. I'm in charge and you're going to do it because I said so. Other times I tried to tell people why and, and help them out. Are there times, just like God did here, that he goes, oh, by the way, my title is Lord, the Lord your God. <laughs> you will listen. Yeah, he's hoping they will listen to on the other three because just if you're not going to listen to those ones, this is my title. I have a title. You're going to do it. And he says, which teaches you to profit or to gain. You know, this is kind of an interesting statement. What is godly profit? You know, and this is something that's very interesting because the world says, you got to be rich, you got to be famous, you got to have a lot of stuff, you got to have lots of friends. And God is saying, I want you to know me. Know me. No. We have so many people that get envious of the wealthy, envious of the famous. You know, it should be me or I should have. You know, I really don't want most of what they have. I, don't definitely, I definitely don't want the fame because then you're always wondering, are people liking me for me or are they liking me for who I am? You know, are they liking me because of all the money I have and the gifts I give them or are they like me because of who I am? I just want to know God. Now, if God wants the other parts to come to me, he'll let them come to me. 
You know, I don't want to be envious of somebody else. I don't want to be envious of some other pastor that has a big church and lots of people and, and makes a great income. God has been very gracious to me. He's given me a group of people that are growing and changing, and that to me is a great blessing. You know, he's given us a church where, yes, we only have about 20, 25 people, but that's still one-tenth of the town pretty much. You know, if a church in Kingman had one-tenth of the town, they'd have to have over 3,500 people in their church every Sunday morning. There's no church that big in Kingman. Go down to, to uh, Lake Havasu where they had to have about 6,000 people in their church. There's one or two churches that are pretty good sized down there that might have close to that. But none of them have that many. All right? But they've got some big churches down there. There are a lot of people. They still don't have one-tenth of the people. So percentage-wise, we have a good... I'm just greedy. I want all 300 people in the town. <laughs> yeah. I want the whole town. I don't want just 10% of the town. So we look at this and say, God says, he teaches us to have gain. But he teaches us to understand what true gain is. And that is going to be peace with him and having him be the center of our life. Giving us whatever it is he wants to give us. And then he goes on to say, that it, by the prophet, and he leads me by the way that you should go. Reminiscent of Psalm 23, he's the good shepherd that leads us. God always leads us if we're silent and quiet enough and peaceful enough to let him lead. Most of the time, we're running around like a chicken with our head cut off, trying to do things our way, and God's over there standing on the hillside waiting. Well, you could quit running around and just follow. I'm over here. I, I'm over here. Uh, would you quit running around in circles down there in the valley and bumping into the same rocks over and over again and, and tripping over the same, stoves, uh, same, same things and just come over here? You know, running, running against the same wall, trying to get, trying to get through, the, through the wall when I'm over here at the door. Yeah. And it's so important that we just say, God, help me be quiet. Help me be patient. Help me look for you in the middle of the trials. Because God speaks with a still, small voice when we're running around in a lot of noise usually creating a lot of noise as we're running around with no peace because God's over there saying, come over here. Come over here. I'm over here. Come on over. I'll walk you right through the door if you just come over here. And we're so busy not listening. Not listening. God is kind of scary over there at that door. You know, there's, there's tethered lions all over on the sides of the road. If you don't know, that's a, state, that's, a, that's a quote from Pilgrim's Progress. He's told to come to the door, and he goes, no, there's lions there. And he goes, no, they're on a rope. They can't get you if you stay in the, in, on the path. And we just look, and all we see is the lions, just like Christian. He saw the lions. Uh-uh, not going anywhere near those things. I don't care if they're on a rope or a chain. Uh, God, you, you want me to do what? Walk between the lions? Walk through the flames? You know, walk through death? And God is saying, I'm there. I have, it, I have it all under control. And just listen to him. He says, you have hearkened unto my, uh, that, oh, that you would have hearkened unto my commandments, for they 
then you would have had peace like a river and your righteousness as the wave of the seas. The consequences of sin. There's consequences for sin. And God is saying, if you keep my commandments, you have peace. You have peace. The more we keep his commandments, the more peace we have because there's not a severe consequence because we're getting good things because we're obeying God. And it is a really interesting place to be. And he goes, your seed also had been as the sand and your offspring of your bowels as the gravel thereof. His name should not have been cut off nor destroyed from before me. If you had obeyed, you would not ended up in captivity, is what he's saying. What a disaster. We talked about David with his sin with Bathsheba, knowing that everything that was going on in his family was his fault. These people go into captivity, and their children are going into captivity, and the parents, if they have any righteousness at all, are saying, it's our fault. My children are being raised in this mess because of the mistakes I made. This is something that's critical for us. It's hard sometimes as a parent to look back and say, wow, I made these mistakes and look what my kids are going through because of what the mistakes I made. That takes a lot of forgiveness. That takes a lot of forgiveness. And that's just saying, God, bless them and give, you know, help me forgive them, help them forgive me. All right, last three verses of this chapter. Go you forth of Babylon, flee you from the Chaldeans, with the voice of singing declare you, Tell this, utter it even to the end of the earth. Say you, the Lord hath redeemed his servant Jacob. And they thirsted not when he led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow out of the rock for them. He clave the rock also, and the waters gushed out. There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. So here he is saying to them, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be just like it was in Exodus. It's going to be, and he, he uses the references of Exodus. He goes, go out of Babylon, flee from the Chaldeans with a voice of singing. I love this, with a voice of singing, with joy. Flee the captivity with joy. For us as Christians, that means when we're leaving the cap- captivity that we've been bound up by, we should be rejoicing. You know, I love when people get excited about what God has delivered them from enough to share their testimony and share, God has done this. God has released me from whatever it is he's released you from. And he says, utter it to the ends of the earth and say, the Lord has redeemed his servant. God wants to give us redemption. He buys us back and he says, you are, you are addicted to whatever sin it is, and I don't care what sin it is, you are addicted to that sin, come to me. Come to me and be released. So our captivity is our sin nature? Huh? Our captivity is our sin nature? A lot of it is. We, we allow our sins to take us captive. And, our, and we are, as, as Del Tackett said, we are like prisoners of war, bound up in our captivity, our sin nature and our captivity. The captivity is what we allow to overtake us. Our sin nature allows us to be captured because of what I desire. 
And every one of us has some sin that pretty much holds us captive. It may be a small, you know, quote-unquote small one, or it might be a big one. But us as Christians, after we've worked out a lot of our big, <laughs> quote-unquote, big sins, all of a sudden God says, well, now what about this little sin that really has you captive? It still has you just as much captive as that big sin. You know, back when you were into drugs and alcohol and, and fornication, you got rid of those, but now this one. This one's got you actually more than they did. The ones that stuck in your heart. The lust, the pride, the envy, the things that people don't even necessarily see. You know, it's pretty easy to get rid of those things that people see. You're a kleptomaniac. Nobody trusts you because they know you're going to steal their stuff. And you get rid of that. But inside you have that envy. They've got all the stuff and I, I deserve it. I'm no longer stealing from them but I really want what they have. I, they, it should be mine, which is why I stole in the first place because the root of that would have been the envy. You know, and so God says, now I want to work those things out. Okay, You used to be a fornicator in adultery. Now I'm going to work out the lustful desires in your heart that you're no longer acting on, but you still have in your heart. And he just keeps working it down and down and saying, I want to get to the root of the problem. You know, it's easy to get rid of what is symptoms. You know, we usually deal with symptoms. Let me, let me deal with what everybody sees, <laughs> but let me not pull the root out. Don't let me get to the bottom of the problem. And he's saying, you have been redeemed. They And they thirsted not when he led them through the, through the desert. He caused the waters to flow out of the rock when he clave the rock also, and the waters gushed out. This is the reference to the walking through the wilderness when, they, when the stone was split in half and the rivers of water flowed out to, to water three and a half million people. And Jesus said, I am the living water. He says, I have water gushing out of me. Huh? Yep. I, have, I am the living water. Who, he that drinks of what the water I give him will not thirst again. Even though you're in the middle of that desert of that world, you will not thirst because you've got my water. And you've got more water there than you'd ever want. Even for somebody like me that drinks gallons of water, there's more water there than I could ever want. And he says, I've got enough for everybody. And you're not going to thirst, even when you're in the midst of a dry, arid place. And so many times, especially if we're not in the Word, we feel like we're in a dry, arid place spiritually. And God is saying, just open the Word. The more time we spend in His Word, the more victory we're going to have. Now, most of us can't sit there and spend 12, 16 hours a day in the Word. <laughs> that would be my dream. God, just give me, give me money, and all I have to do is study the Word would be a wonderful place to be. <laughs> but you know, there are many of the greatest recovery programs that are Christian-based put you in the Word of God for hours a day and say, fine, you're under our recovery plan. Three hours in the morning, three hours in the afternoon, you're studying. Just study the Word of God. Because you cannot get rid of something by just stopping it. There has to be something that's put in its place. And this is important for us to understand. I can't just drop a sin in my life and leave a hole. Vacuums do not stay empty. 
something else will come in. And if it's not God, it'll be just as bad or worse. So we want to put God in the place. Um, one of the points that is made by many, many teachers that I've heard is, you know, go out there and try to think about nothing. Okay? I don't want you to think about all the bad things that happened to you. Don't think about the bad things that happened to you yesterday. Don't think about those things. And what happens when you're told not to think about something or you're telling yourself not to think about something? That's exactly what you think about. We have to replace those thoughts with something else. God's word. God. You know, how do I not worry about the future? I concentrate on the one who holds the future in his hands and is in control. All right, I don't have to worry about the future. God, you've got it. I'm going to trust in you. God, I'm just going to worry. I'm just going to praise you. I'm going to sing praises to you. I'm going to sing, sing your praises. I'm going to pray. I'm going to, I'm going to trust you. And when I'm trusting him, I don't worry about the future. You know, and I love the example. Peter, when he steps out of the boat, doesn't have a bit of a problem until he sees the waves. And then all of a sudden, you know what's going through his head. Uh, why? I can't walk on water. You know, what, am I standing, what am I standing on the lake in the middle of all these waves? I can't, I can't stand on the lake in the first place. What am, I, what am I doing amongst all these waves? Why did I get out of the boat? Yeah, why did I get out of the boat? How could I, you know, all of a sudden, real, you know, reality from his eyes kicks in instead of the spiritual reality of staying with Jesus and walking through the storm with no problem because his eyes changed focus. And then the last verse in this chapter there is no peace unto the wicked, God says. This is something that we really do need to understand. When we look at the wicked and think they have everything all together, they really don't. If you really get to know them, there's no peace in their heart. The person who is very wealthy and doesn't know God, they're not, they're not at peace. They can buy anything, they think, but they can't buy peace. They get all the fame in the world and without God, they're not at peace. And they realize, and you know, if you don't believe it, just start reading some of the stupid tabloids and stuff. You know, read, read about how sad these people really are in their life. And I don't recommend that, but I mean, just if you don't believe it, you can just pick up any tabloid and see how miserable these people are. And how many commit suicide and listen to these reports. They get what we think would make us perfectly happy, and yet they're not happy. They're not at peace. And that's the problem with the world. It is totally selfish. What is in it for me? Why, you know, why, what is best for me? And everything about Christianity is what is best for others. Being able to edify, build up, put others first. And it, it really is a nice, peaceful way to when you're putting others first. And you put yourself second. And you just have peacefulness watching what it really means to give, to give to others and see the blessing when they receive. And it's a fun way to live. We don't, we don't do it very well most of the time, but it's a fun way when you're doing it and you say, wow, it's just wonderful, pouring into others' lives. Yep. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for how much you love us, Lord. Thank you for showing us that you are our redeemer, that you love us more than we could ever imagine and that you care for us, and we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.